This week's episode of Screen Talk is being brought to you by Black Panther. The LA Times raves Black Panther is the cinematic event of the year. Vanity Fair calls it a political and social triumph. USA Today acclaims Black Panther is a rousing cultural moment. Winner of the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble now nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Costume and Production Design, Score, Original Song All the Stars, performed by Kendrick Lamar and SZA, and Best Motion Picture. Check it out. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by our editor at large, Ann Thompson. And Ann, we're a week and change out of Sundance, but we're straight into the last kind of uh, trudge to the finish line of Oscar season, which uh, seems to continue to develop, even if uh, a lot of stuff has been on the table for a while here. Now, on Monday, you got to go to this Oscar nominee luncheon, which everybody always likes to, to sort of obsess over because of all the class photo type stuff. But there was some real stuff that came out of the guidance that was provided at this lunch. It sounds like from what you and other people have said that they really want to make sure that people don't talk too long at the podium this year. They say that every year. So it's the same pitch as they've always had. The difference is that this time they're really going to keep it to three hours. So, so they say that, so that they say. No, they're, they're, ser- they're serious. Um, okay. I mean, the whole background of why the Academy is behaving differently uh, now than it used to. I mean, it always sort of let it run, included everybody, um, had musical numbers, you know, for everyone. I mean, it was expansive. It wasn't um, being quite so uptight. And, and the real reason for that is that ABC put huge pressure on them at the end of last year, which had the lowest ratings ever um, with uh, Jimmy Kimmel for the second time. And, and they, which isn't his fault. I don't think the host has anything to do with the ratings. I think it has to do with how big the movies are, which should be a good thing this year with Black Panther and Star is Born and, and Green Book. Um, all in the race. Uh, it should be, um, you know, Black Klansman's a popular movie. Uh, it should be, it should be a big, a big year, uh, based on uh, the fact that there's a rooting interest and a wide open race. Also, I mean, this is not one of those things where all the different um, guilds have lined up perfectly and uh, everybody's knows what's going to win it there's well, i almost there. feel like it's a it could be a lost cause either way from a rating standpoint i mean just what is it that people tune in to see at the oscars it might not be the host but is it really black panther is black panther which will probably not win in any major categories really the lure that gets people to turn on tvs across the country i mean i feel like the oscars is more insidery than a lot of us who obsess over them realize oh you're so wrong that is uh, Eric. That's one of the most that that fascinates me. It, basically, what you have is a global phenomenon where all the different countries around the world are rooting for their people to win. So imagine that all the Spanish-speaking countries around the world have seen Roma because it's in all these countries anyway, and they're rooting for Roma. That's the first time that's ever happened that a foreign language uh, movie, Spanish language movie, is 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 in contention for best picture. Black Panther, one of the biggest movies ever to to be have an all black cla- cast, you know, set in Africa, fantasy African kingdom, 
um, you know, incredible accomplishment, historic. There are people all over the world, including in Africa, rooting I, for I agree. Black there's enormous also, rooting interest in I, all I of these movies. You. No, I mean, look, I was talking to some of my Colombian Maybe relatives. Not in New about, York City, okay? No, I'm in talking your, to okay. highfalutin, uh, high mean, art let, circles. Let me let me take you out of my bubble to tell you about the conversations I've been having with my relatives in Colombia who think Roma is amazing and see a lot of parallels with people they know, and obviously the representational element is very exciting to them. I don't think they're going to watch the Oscars because of that. I'm just saying that the Do assumption of that correlation. I mean, the, I think people grow up being aware of the Oscars as a thing that's on TV, but the obsession over the Oscars, the appointment viewing of the Oscars, I'm just I'm just leaving the door open for the possibility that maybe it's just not something that a lot of people are excited to watch the way that we are. Well, and, one and, of the reasons that IndieWire spends enormous amounts of time and energy on Oscar coverage, aside from the fact that there are ads involved, <laughs> is is that, that believe it or not, it's a race. And one of the things I learned in you know journalism 101, you know, at EW or wherever I was working, was that a race is always something that people track and they care about it. And it's still the toniest, still the classiest, still the one that everybody knows about. And if it has diminished in, in its impact over the years, which has more to do, I think with another kind of divide, which has to do with um, A, that there haven't been big, big uh, movies that everybody has seen that could they could root for, for the best picture race. If everything is already predetermined, and if everybody knows what the winners are gonna be at, in advance, then it, there's less rooting against, yeah. right? So this year, there's a lot of possibilities. Roma is a possibility, but so is, um, you know, Green Book, and and so is uh, not Black Panther. Probably, I would say it's between, and not the favorite. Not the it's, favorite. It's between those two. It's between Roma and Green Book. Um, and that itself is a fascinating cultural it? divide. You couldn't ask for a, a weirder kind of showdown, in a sense. And nobody, I think, a year ago would have predicted that. Maybe Roma, on some level, was thought of, is highly anticipated. No, Green Book wasn't on anybody's radar. You know, until until really it dropped at TIFF in that sense. So it's been it's been a very interesting couple of months in that respect. The races of all Black Klansmen, I think, rose up more than a lot of people underestimated that one. So to see that narrative kind of gaining some traction is very interesting as well. I'd be curious to hear from you, being in the room with most of the nominees. You know, they they mention everybody, and you, and you, I assume that there's varying degrees of applause. Yeah. Who was the most popular person in the room? Well, there was a lot of applause because Spike Lee was mentioned early in the conversation by John Bailey. I mean, what you get is you get this pit, you pick up on this thing that the Academy is so invested in diversity, you know, that they just want to be proud of of their accomplishments in that department. And someone like Spike Lee has praised the Academy for its diversity efforts and, and holds them, um, you know, feels that the degree to which the Academy has, has moved the needle has made it possible for so many movies like Roma, like Black Klansman, like Black Panther, like um, Barry Jenkins' movie, If Beale Street Could Talk, to all be in this, uh, Green, and, Green, and Green Book, to be in this, in this conversation this year. So it's a very diverse set of nominations. And so they put Spike, they called out, there were like 171 people out of the 212 who were nominated and they called them up one at a time to get on the risers and po at the end when they were all there they posed for the for the picture and so the first person who went up was spike lee 
And he got a huge round of applause. And most of the celebrities, naturally, I mean, as we all know, they all get good rounds of applause. Beyond that, I noticed that Jimmy Chin of Free Solo got uh, got a lot of applause. And um, I, Just I, Jimmer is co-director too. And, and uh, Chai, Vesa uh, really, yeah, she went totally. up separately. But um, but his wife. But uh, the other the other one who uh, got the most applause by far. You know, there's no comparison. Was Mahershala Ali? Everybody loves him. And he's a, you can you can notch that one on your on your ballot right now. I mean, Nobody one, has had a more awkward awkward. Uh, awkward he, and he's taken the high road. He's and he's handled it. He's he's taken you know controversial positions on it. He hasn't gone along with the studio at all in terms of trying to make it nice. I mean, um, he's really he's really stood by uh, his his own. Um, uh, values. In, so it's in almost like he could be rewarded for surviving all of that. Even well, whatever's wrong with the movie, it's not his fault. But the other thing that was very much, there were three things, there were several things that were the subject of discussion at the lunch. One was um, the whole question of the negative campaigning that's going on. And uh, I did witness uh, Alfonso Cuaron go over to Peter Farrelly. They're old friends. Peter Farrelly loved uh, I wouldn't on. have thought that those guys would have randomly met at some point in the industry over the years, but I guess it's a small it world. It happens that he was a fan of mm -hmm. that movie. Uh, mm -hmm. So they, they have an easy, you can see it just in their body language, they have an easy um, camaraderie. Um, also, uh, Alfonso, one of his great skills, as you may have noticed in, in dealing with him, and he's just one of these people with exquisite manners. Who knows how to talk to people? Yeah, he makes everybody feel like he's really excited to Absolutely. see. Absolutely, he's a good actor. But um, but one thing is that he's a, he doesn't. Um, I mean, he may demand a lot of people on his movie sets, but um, he. Uh, I don't believe that he would ever condone any kind of negative campaigning, and I understand that he doesn't, and and that uh, there's been a lot of slinging. A lot of people, the Green Book people, have been understandably upset that there's been this kind of negative campaign against them that's brought up all these old tweets and and social media things that were embarrassing to Farrelly or embarrassing to Nick Vallelonga, the uh, the writer um, who has completely vanished from the scene. The son embarrassing of that he was a freaking Islamophobe who, who right. agreed with Donald right Trump. Right-wing guy, yeah, which is logical if you think about who his father was you know that he would be perhaps a conservative guy but in any case um he uh the whole green book thing has just kept going and so there's obviously somebody's fighting back um and and the the green book people are you know accusing also there was a story in los angeles magazine and in the story they look at the possibility that these people who used to work for harvey weinstein who of course is the great negative campaigner of all time. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people learned how to do that, but they're, you know, so they were saying, okay, Lisa Tayback at, you know, Netflix uh, is responsible or, you know, this woman, da Danny Weinstein yeah. over it. It's like a dog whistle thing. It has, there's no, in that article, there's no, no evidence. Zero evidence. And I don't buy this. I understand negative campaigning is a thing and that this was a Weinstein thing and all these people came from there. But in the case of Greenbook, How many people came about, from Weinstein? There are about well, 20 million of them. Also, <laughs> so look at the, what, what is the negativity around Greenbook? It's think pieces written by film critics like 
Chaos and Collins and Vanny Fair and, and the essay by Tambe Obinson that we ran, you know, it's not like somebody implanted in their heads that this movie has a magic. No, absolutely problem. not. That is organic. And, and, and we can, and there's also rumors around, you know, how does Spike Lee feel about Green Book? You know, I was looking at the clip from the DGA where Peter Farrelly is talking and the camera sort of pans over to Spike Lee and he's got a sort of solid blank expression you can read whatever you want into a solid blank expression. Um, you know, he's been very careful not to say things. I mean, it's, he doesn't have to say anything. It's like obvious. He's been on a crusade for decades about the kind of, you know, misunderstanding of the black experience in America through the white gaze of American filmmaking. So this but movie he's not is stupid insane. enough to go out there no, and say he doesn't, it. To, he doesn't need to say anything. You know, he has a blank expression. He's not going to be friendly or, or, you know, eagerly smiling at Peter Farrelly. Okay, fine. But you know, people are really taking that to mean that he's like throwing shade at him. And, and people, thought People thought he was throwing shade at Bradley Cooper in the, this Hollywood Reporter interview. It was like an internet meme. And then there were other the panels that they did where they seemed like they're pals. And then he, maybe he kind of likes Stars Born. So, you know, I mean, the, that's the paradox of Spike Lee is that his reputation suggests a guy who, who can't get along with anyone. But he actually does seem to. He knows everybody. Yeah. He gets along. I mean, he's he's. Uh... I mean, we'll see what he says after the Oscars. That's Let's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. If he gets on that stage, which could happen twice, it seems like there's a strong He's chance. He's probably getting before. adapted screenplay. Yeah, I want to know what that because that is such a moment, right there. There is there is a possibility for best director, you know, remote. I mean, here's the the logic of that. The logic of that is that Roma can't win everything, and it's it's so remarkable that Quaron is up for foreign language and cinematography and best picture and director you know he can't he isn't going to necessarily win them all and and uh and and i don't know if they might not decide to go ahead and give spike lee best director and 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 show the world you know that that the academy can give the first ever black man best director right well i mean the the general thing is that Quaron is so well liked he's got to be the front runner in that category but you know he also already has one well, statistically I mean, it's, yeah exactly it's just statistically having won the dga having won uh, all the things that he's won but again I, I did this story about about why the guilds aren't lining up you've got you know uh <laughs> you've got green book at the pga you've got bohemian rhapsody at this at sag you, you've got you know all these different you know things going on and wh who what movie is bohemian rhapsody is very strong too i, I haven't got which i just i almost threw up a little bit hearing that not that i mean i just it is because i, I talk to people i talk to people and they love this movie they love the way it's made. I mean, people from the sound, like if you want to notch another one, go for Bohemian Rhapsody, I, you know, for sound. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And no I one- I did enjoy the end of the movie for what it was, but it's so, the movie is, I mean, it's Metacritic. like- Metacritic, so critics gave it 49 on Metacritic. It's a lot of people don't like this movie who are critics. Very formulaic, but, you know, people, I'm just saying, I keep having these arguments over and over again. So the other element, that's going on is this question of, of, of Netflix again. And you do have people, I was up at Sundance and I'm sure you heard some of the same stuff because in the art house community, especially in, in the um, 
theatrical distributors who who have to pick up movies at Sundance. Now, Netflix wasn't one of the big uh, competitors this year. It was Amazon, so this applies to both. But Amazon at least has a theatrical um, component, uh, which even though Netflix has shown Roma in theaters for over 11 weeks, it's not considered a, a theatrical uh, distributor, and that's considered a one-off you know, for the purposes of getting getting an Oscar, but but people are angry at Netflix, but the people who are angry at Netflix are the theatrical distributors. The right, but how many business. of those people are actually in the exactly. academy? Exactly, it's the executive branch, it's it's certain- Members uh, at large, maybe, you know, don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's not the people, it's not the rank and file who gave Netflix 15 nominations over over the whole thing, So, which is the same as Disney. Um, yeah, I mean, the Netflix, I'm just, it's, it's getting a little tiresome, honestly, this notion that Netflix is somehow a charge. I mean, it's it's been a disruptor. This is like an old story. We talked about it last year when it got sponsored. the first year that they're threatening to win Best Picture. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's not like they didn't give it a solid theatrical release. It did play at a lot of theaters. I mean, it. I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm, that, this side of the narrative, I think most people are starting to understand is not, something that should get in the way of how a movie performs in, in when it's the entire so let's go back you have all the branches voting for for the nominations but now you have the whole academy voting and i agree with you that all the crafts all, you know all the people who are artists the people who want they want to work for netflix they want to get hired you know it's a studio to them it's no more no i mean maybe they would prefer movies to be in theaters but reality is all movies cannot be in theaters so that's the, but, but there's, to get to the number one, to get to the win, you kind of need a lot of votes. <laughs> so if there's something taking away those votes, that's a real thing. I mean, it, I, I'm not discounting the possibility. It just seems, it's, it just seems like we've been through this already. We should be over this particular challenge by now. We haven't been through this already, Eric. Last year, Mudbound was, you know, four nominations. It wasn't a threat of any kind. I'm just saying that the notion of Netflix getting into this space is... It, they want it to get out. They want it to be They're gone. not going anywhere. They yeah. want it to be... No, what they want is for it to be an Emmy contender a television play. I remember that's what Spielberg said. That that's A true. lot of people feel that way. Yeah, yeah. So, so we've been talking for almost 20 minutes and we haven't even mentioned A Star is Born. Is it just, it's gone? It's, there's, that movie won't, it's just, we forgot about it. It's like- Funny, funny you should mention it. Um, I have been trying to get an interview with Bradley Cooper <laughs> since the beginning when it first showed uh, in Toronto. And I, you know, I saw him there at a, at a cocktail party. I went to the opening night premiere uh, in L.A. I saw him at the um, Academy lunch. Uh, finally, I saw him at the American Cinema Tech Ball. I mean, I ta I've talked to him. He's been working. There's this weird um, thing that he's been distant or he hasn't been participating or whatever. And uh, I've decided that, that now that I've accosted him and got an interview with him um, and did a story on him. Um, what I've wanted to say all along is that I didn't think that people recognized that this movie that looks like a big studio, blockbuster, glossy entertainment is actually a much more challenging, gritty kind of indie movie to pull off. Uh, $38 million isn't that much 
for a movie like this with all that music and 19 songs and multiple performances and and a first time you know actress uh, on in a feature film and a first time director and so forth and so um, I just uh, made a, a case for for how misunderstood <laughs> this movie is and then Sean Penn went and made a case for it in in Deadline as well in, a very, in his usual kind of bizarre quasi gonzo fashion kind of saying that you know he's got a problem which is that nobody appreciates him or takes him for granted or something well, like there that. is a meme um there is this idea that he's uh too good looking and the model girlfriend and the beautiful child and he's just so he goes on and does elephant man and he goes on and does this perfectly and you know and um, I don't know why he should be punished for being talented I, I do actually agree I, I mean there is it's something that Army Hammer has talked about a little bit too, where it's like when you get typecast as a good looking movie actor, it's almost like people just, they, they, they refuse to take you seriously, even if you play a particular role exactly the way that it's supposed to be done. And I will say, I mean, I was looking over the best actor category, which is somewhat weak this year. And I know a lot of people think Rami Malek's got him in the bag, which is disgusting, but Cooper, is really good in this movie. It's I think so too. My favorite aspect. I don't love the Stars Born, but I do think that he is really captivating on screen. What he had to do was to was to make. Um, well, first of all, he took four years of his life and turned himself into a musician. And I mean, a lot of actors have to learn how to play the piano or or the guitar or, or, you know, learn how to ride a horse or learn how to fence or whatever it is. That's part of the deal. But he really did turn himself into somebody who was convincing in live performance as one of the iconic pop stars of his time that everybody would, you know, selling out arenas and and, you know, he didn't make him look like somebody else. He made him he, he became Jackson Maine in a, in a very convincing way and the intimacy of the romance. So he was involved in the writing. He was involved in the development as a producer, of course. And he was also involved in creating the character of Jackson Maine. But he also had to get involved with Lady Gaga and teams and teams of people in creating all those songs. So the songs are. Um, Meh. You didn't, you didn't, they were believable. They were shallow. You like shallow. Oh, so annoying. Worst <laughs> earworm. I can't wait for everybody to forget that they were. Oh, bah humbug, Eric. Bah humbug. Um, but it, I had all my, I had my daughter and her friends over and they, all they wanted to do was sing songs, Lady Gaga songs from, from, uh, well, she's not gonna win either. I mean, that song will probably. She's gonna win, win the song. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's do. So let's say, Christian Bale is a possibility um, for Vice, which did get um, eight nominations, and I think uh, they will be uh, getting something. Um, maybe not. Maybe they go in there and they get nothing. Um, and then you have. Um, I don't think Willem Dafoe is going to do it. And I, I think that uh, Malik is actually very, very strong after winning SAG. So, uh, but one of the things I wrote about was the idea that the, that the guilds aren't lining up because they haven't diversified as much as the uh, Right, so there could be a surprise in this category at the end of the day, but... SAG is more diverse than the others. I think SAG is still something to pay attention to. Um, it's not going to be Panther. Black Panther won SAG. Fair. Um, yeah. That was a little confusing, but it was interesting. And then we have in the actress category, you got 
obviously the Glenn Close narrative that's very strong. But what's fascinating about that is just how much Olivia Colman has has faded. You know, she really she's did see the her. crown. She's busy. She's not working mm -hmm. the uh, the red carpet. She's not around. She wasn't at the lunch. She's working. You know who's who's globe trotting is Yelita Aparicio. That's been fascinating to see. And she I love it. everywhere. She's been lovely. I mean, first of all, anyone who meets her falls in love with her because she is lovely. She's just one of those lovely people that that's why he cast her. He cast someone who could radiate that decency and that and shine with that kind of innate goodness. That's who she is. And it's so much fun to watch her. Did you, did you with Diego Luna at the at the Critics' Choice Awards and and uh, and she's been on late night talk shows. I mean, it's just really interesting to see. It's like uh, you know, this she she comes out of nowhere, but seems very comfortable in the spotlight. And, and actors seem to be very much appreciative of that ability. You know, knowing how difficult it is. And and I I don't know. I mean. Do you think it's completely impossible that people will latch onto that narrative even more than the Glenn Close deserves it one? Because that would be quite a moment. This one if that were, I mean, I have to assume. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to assume um, people are, are slacking me. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, I have to assume that getting the nomination was the big deal and it is a sign of a sign of strength for Roma. Um, it's pretty hard to deny that after seven nominations, Glenn Close is overdue and her extraordinary speech at the Globes really put her over the top and she went on to win SAG. So she's pretty much of a lock at this point, especially with Coleman being a relatively new entrant into the into the fray. Um, I, I believe that that Coleman gives the best performance of the year. And I know a lot of people feel strongly about this. But um, when you have one of these stars who has give, given us ex such extraordinary work over so many decades, and then uh, is up for the what might be your last shot, then they tend to give it to her. Well, I mean, it, I, if we could see the data, I would be curious to, to know if if the wife is the movie that is most likely to win when people vote for a movie they haven't actually seen. I mean, is everyone watching this or are they just like, it's Glenn Close, let's just make it happen. Hard you know? to say. It's uh, like most, the, of, most of the rank and file Academy people I talk to uh, are, are, uh, very, are very good about seeing, seeing the movies and not voting in the categories where they haven't seen all I five. have I have talked to people who say that too, or that they only voted for three best picture films and things like that because they didn't have time to get through all that. I think everyone should be doing their homework here, especially in a year like this with so many different kinds of films, some of which obviously I like more than others. But it's just, you know, you should, you, should, you should educate yourself. You should have an obligation to educate yourself on the kinds of possibilities here, especially when you have, you know, so many different sensibilities being represented. So, well, you did your homework. You went and looked at all the live action. I always shorts. watch the shorts. Yeah, and they're, they're playing in so theaters which one now. do you think is going to win? Well, I, my sense is that if you watch all of the live action short films and Fav which is uh, this French-Canadian film, would be the one that stands out. But it's actually, it's a really strong set. Which is the most moving emotionally? Marguerite might be more emotionally involving because it's a two-hander with 
two women, an older woman, sort of revisiting a, a relationship that she's kept in the dark for years. It's very well acted. But Fav is, is this gripping story of these two kids, just to give you a sense of the first kind of act of this 16-minute movie, who are playing around, and one of them starts sliding into some concrete. And it's just, it's a gripping moment. And the movie just literally more unnerving. Yes, from there. So that, I mean, that's the one that, I mean, I just feel like sticks with people more from a filmmaking standpoint, but it could be either one of those two. It's again, I mean, people got to watch the films in the category. I'd be curious to know how many people are actually making that effort. It isn't that many. It yeah. isn't that many. And, and I, I find, uh, and especially, what you get in these situations is that mostly it's the people in the foreign language branch who actually see all the foreign language entries. I mean, other people do, but it's hard to catch up with five. And then it's mostly the people in the short and animation branch. You see the shorts and the animation. That's just the way it is. So it's really a few hundred people. Who yeah, those categories. I mean, it's... It's interesting. There's also a film called Skin in that category, which has already been made into a feature that premiered in Toronto last fall about a, about a bunch of skinheads who and a, and a harrowing racist act. And, and the second half of it is kind of the revenge that's taken on this family that I thought was a little silly in, in parts, but it, it's obviously very timely and in other ways, so I guess that's that, that could split the difference too. But again, it, it really is this question of you know how many people are actually getting engaged with uh, with this process. So so we'll see how all that goes. And next week, we'll as we creep along to the uh, to the deadline here, we'll dig deeper into a couple other different categories. It'll be interesting to see how this conversation evolves. It feels like we're in a pretty stable place now, but like you said, it's a very unpredictable year. So. I hope you get a chance to rest up a little bit this weekend, Anne, and then next week we'll reconvene to dig a little deeper. Thanks, Eric. I'll talk to you later.